here's what we're doing tonight. Here's what we're doing tonight. We are going to look at and we are going to discover seven essential truths. Seven essential truths about God and about what it means to follow Jesus, specifically, specifically through this guy named Paul. And one of his most famous letters that he wrote, the letter to the church in Rome. We, we've been in this series 66 where we've been looking at the 66 six books that make up the story of God. Written by 40 different authors over a 1500 year time period. This collection of letters and historical biography and poetry and songs and wisdom literature has all been gathered together so that you and I would know God and we call it the Bible. But it's actually 66 different books. You know, we've been saying this a lot here throughout this series. That the Bible is not just one book. The Bible is many collections of writings that form one book. But the Bible is telling one story. And throughout this entire series, we have seen how every page of Scripture points us towards a God who created us, who loves us, who promised that he would die for us, who did that on a cross and rose from the dead. And where we find ourselves today in the story of God is Jesus has left. And the church, the people of God who are followers of Jesus are trying to figure out what to do next. And our seven essential truths today are going to come to us from maybe the most unlikely Character. Find me in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Meanwhile, Saul, so there's this guy named Saul. He goes by Saul and Paul. It actually, if you know this story, maybe you thought, oh, he was Saul before he became a Christian, and then he became Paul. That's actually not true. That Saul and Paul get used throughout the New Testament to describe this guy. Whenever he was in Jewish context, Whenever he was amongst fellow Hebrews, followers of God, Israelites, he went by the name Saul. And whenever he was out with Romans or with Greeks or with non-Jews, with Gentiles, he went by the name Paul. He used those two names interchangeably as a way of connecting with the people that he was talking with. So Saul, Saul Paul, is still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and this is how bad it got. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way. This is so cool, you guys. The very first followers of Jesus were called followers of the way. You see, following Jesus was never about attending Kind of some kind of gathering like this and that being the end of it. No, you see, gathering like this is the beginning of you following Jesus. If you're a, a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning Christian and the rest of your week looks nothing like you follow Jesus, that is not what God intended you for. But in fact, he desires that you would be described as followers of the way. It means the way in which you live every single day. Like what you do when you wake up in the morning. What you do at night when no one else is looking. What you do with your boyfriend or girlfriend. How you interact with people. Your priorities. Your purpose. Your allegiance. Like what is it that you are most passionate about? All of those things become centered around Jesus when you are a follower of the way. But these followers of the way, these early Christians, they had an enemy. 
They had an enemy. Not only was it Satan, but Satan was using Saul at this time. He asked for all these letters that he could find any of those who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, guys, I want you to think about this. For us as followers of Jesus, if I'm just honest, we got it pretty easy sometimes. I mean, I mean, we may have friends and, or people that make fun of us for our beliefs, and we, we experience that kind of persecution. But there are Christians all around the world who are experiencing right now what Paul was instigating, what Paul was doing to the Christians in the first century, where they were literally afraid that they were going to get imprisoned, that they would be arrested that somebody would come into their house in the middle of the night, take them from their rooms, put them in prison because they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. You see, friends, if, if for you following Jesus is just like kind of like a side hustle, if following Jesus is just this thing that you do because it's convenient or, or it's fun or some of your other buddies are doing it, and you need to know that we have a rich history as followers of Jesus of being persecuted. And there will come times in your life where people will say, I don't get what you believe. Why would you believe that? People are going to make fun of you for following Jesus, but it's always worth it. This Paul, he continues to do this as he neared Damascus on his journey, so he was going to Damascus, he had the letters in hand, he was ready to arrest some Christians, he was ready to ruin some lives and then check out what happened. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Saul, Paul fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he wets his pants, right? Like that's what happened, absolutely. Like he freaks out at this point. He is hearing a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Dang. That version of Jesus that you guys have, that like hippie Jesus, or that like pal Jesus who's like sitting in the back and he's like yeah you do you do whatever you want that's not the Jesus of scripture this Jesus is willing to get up in your business like Jesus is interested in getting into every part of your life and saying hey I want to shake up how you feel about yourself I want to shake up some of these bad habits that you have going on. Hey, I want you to know I'm not okay with you drinking on the weekends. Hey, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And what he does is Jesus wakes him up. And he says, Paul, all of this energy, all of this passion that you have to destroy the church, I'm going to use it to build my church. Our first big idea for tonight, if you're filling in the blanks, my first big idea for tonight is this. God wants to use your personality for his purposes. Each one of you have been wired differently. I mean, some of you, you remember when we did the Enneagram series here? Some of you are like twos, right, where you just want to help. God wants to use that aspect of your personality for his purposes. Some of you are the eight. Some of you are the challenger. Anybody know, anybody an eight in this room? Anybody Enneagram? Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, anyway. Holy cow. Some of you are eights, and you're challengers. God wants to use that for his purposes. Some of you are the sevens. You're the entertainers. 
That when you go to the room, what's up, Joseph, my man, dude? When you go to a room, you just want it to be a big party. Jesus wants you to create a kind of party atmosphere that glorifies him. You see, it's important, you guys. When God designed you and gave you a personality, he didn't mess up. And I don't believe he's interested in changing that part of you. I believe he's interested in redeeming that part of you for his purposes. And so I want you to just take a minute and think about this. What are you naturally gifted at? Is it a sport? Is it academics? Are you the kind of person that when you see somebody hurting, you, just something in your heart says, I want to help them? Do you, do you like serving in that way? Is there, when you walk into an environment, are you, are you seeing somebody who's not getting talked to, feeling disconnected? God wants to use that part of you, but ultimately for his purposes. I would challenge you to pray tomorrow as you're walking to school. You say, God, would you use all of me for all of you? God, would you use all of me, how you've wired me, would you use all of me for all of you? Well, this was in the year 35 AD. So in the year 35 AD, only a few years after Jesus rose from the dead, Paul has this amazing experience where he is changed and he becomes a builder of the church instead of a destroyer of the church. And then 22 years later, in the year 57 AD, I mean, it's like 2,000 years ago, in the year 57 AD, Paul sits down and on one of his missionary journeys, as he's telling the whole world about Jesus, he pens this letter. And this letter was one of his longest letters. It's one of his most detailed letters. And we are going to do a huge disservice to it because we are only going to talk about a handful of verses. But I would encourage you to read this entire letter. But we are going to look at a few verses from the book of Romans. The first passage we're going to look at is this. Romans 1, 14 to 16. It says this. Paul says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Here's what's interesting about Paul. Paul, before he became a Christian, was just passionate about Jews. He was just passionate about Judaism. In fact, he thought Gentiles, who are non-Jewish people, were honestly a waste of time. I mean, you could make a case that within Paul's heart is a sense of racism about another group. And yet here's what's awesome. Is that as soon as we meet Jesus and come in contact with Jesus... He changes the parts of us that are broken, the parts of us that don't reflect him, the views of other people that don't honor him. He wants to change that in you. And so if you're in this place and you have a prejudice, a prejudice against any other race, against any other group of people, I believe God wants to redeem that so that you might see them through his eyes. And it's exactly what Jesus has done to Paul. You see, Paul says he has a passion now for Jews and Gentiles, people who grew up knowing about God, people who knew nothing about God. He has a passion for them. And then he says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's willing to say this good news that Jesus Christ created us, that he died on a cross for us, that he rose from the dead for us. He goes, I know that sounds crazy, but I am not ashamed of that. Why? Because he's seen the power of it. 
The second big idea that I want you to write down in your notes is this. When you experience the gospel, you will be empowered with boldness. When you experience the gospel, you will be empowered with boldness. When Jesus has truly changed your life, when you finally wake up to this idea, as we're going to see in a few moments, that you and I are sinners, that we're broken, that we're literally dead inside, and that Jesus came after us. When you experience the life change that happens, when you can look at somebody that used to be an enemy and you can say, man, I know that you are so treasured and valued and loved by God that I can no longer treat you like an enemy anymore because because Jesus does not want to treat you like an enemy. That when you have this awareness that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the message of Jesus, that when you've fully experienced it, that all of a sudden you have this boldness that causes you to want to tell people about him. It's kind of like I remember, and, and hopefully um, none of you can really relate with this, but um, when, when we found out we were pregnant with Charlie, okay, that's my wife over there. Can everyone say hi, Sarah? Hi, Sarah. Um, Sarah and I have four kids. Pray for us. So we have four kids. And, um, and when we found out that we were pregnant with our first kid, I was stunned, like absolutely shocked. It was like the most awesome surprise that we just were, wow, okay, this is how it happened. So we found out we're pregnant. And I remember she told me, and that night we were going to dinner, but we couldn't tell anybody. We, had, we wanted to wait to make sure we told our families. And so we had this, like, good news. We had this secret within us that we had to share, and we just, it was killing me. And so I remember we were going to dinner, and we couldn't tell those people. We were going to see our family, but we didn't want to tell them yet because we wanted to surprise them in a cool way. And so I had this within me. And I remember we went to this dinner. We parked in this parking garage. We got in this elevator, and all of a sudden this, like, random dude just, like, walks in the elevator. I don't remember his name or anything. He just walked in the elevator and I just looked at him I'm like she's pregnant like it just said it I was like she's pregnant I'm just I gotta tell you like we're having a baby right like I just like trying to see if he would like encourage me and he's like dude you look really young and I'm like we're having a baby like this is crazy and I remember I remember there were multiple people multiple strangers that I would just see on the road and I'd be like it was like elf you know like buddy the elf you remember how he just like it's just like, that's who I was. I was just, uh, uh, like, a good-looking Will Ferrell, right? So I'm like, I'm, like, out there, and I'm just like, she's having a baby. I couldn't help myself. I, I remember when I first became a Christian, I remember having a similar passion. I remember there was just this thing in me. I was like, I want everybody to know. But if I'm honest with you guys... There's times now where I feel like God is opening a door for me to share about Jesus, and I'm like, nah. I'm like, ah, I'm kind of busy. I've got something to get to. What if they think I'm weird? But I'm reminded, I want to have the kind of faith that Paul had, where he said, I am not ashamed. If you're in this room and if you call yourself a Christian, we, this is for me, this is just mostly for me, listen in if you want. If I'm calling myself a Christian, I have to share it with other people. I have to be bold about it. This room should be packed out with all of your friends. And if they think you're a loser for coming here, so be it. Their life might be changed as they come in contact with the gospel. So Paul, first thing he says is do not be ashamed. The second verse I want to look at with you is in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. This righteousness, so Paul says this righteousness, and what he's describing is having a right relationship with God. 
Whenever it says righteousness in the scriptures, it's meaning when you have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. He says, this right relationship with God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. That's such a great setup. Because as he's writing to this audience of Jews and Gentiles, and as they're sitting in the same church, remember, there's some prejudice that they're experiencing with each other. And so as he's saying this, they're going, the Jews are going, no, no, no. <laughs> I grew up reading the Bible. This Gentile doesn't even know how to spell Bible. The, the Gentile is going, are you kidding me? I've had way more life experiences than this Jewish person. What you, so, so when Paul says there is no difference between Jew or Gentile, the question is, what does he mean? And this is exactly what he means. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the second big point. No matter who you think you're better than, you're not. Whoever you think you're better than, you are not. What Paul says here is there is an even ground in terms of equal offenders. That every single one of us in this room, that all of us have fallen short and continue to fall short of God's perfect standard. That God is holy, he's perfect, he has never sinned, he has created all things good, we messed it up, we broke, and every single one of us has fallen short. Now, now, there's obviously, there's obviously certain sins that seem to have greater consequences, right? So, so, so if, I, if I tell you a lie, that comes with some certain consequences. If somebody kills me, like hopefully they would have bigger consequences, Right? I mean, I mean there, there's obviously different consequences, and there's different degrees of pain that are associated with sin. So I want to make it clear that God is not just saying, oh, if I lie to Larry or if Larry kills me, God's like, that's cool, whatever. No, it's not like that. Like, there's absolutely varying degrees of pain and death that come with sin. And yet, all of it is still sin. That all of it still separates us from God. And so as soon as you get on your high horse and you go, well, I read my Bible all week last week and that person didn't, that as soon as you're judging them and as soon as you're becoming overly critical and as soon as you're becoming pharisaical and legalistic, that you're sinning just like they're sinning and being disobedient and spending time with God. That every single one of us are sinners. And so it's very important that when we think about this community, that when we think about this group of Jesus followers, that we remember, hey, all of us are broken. Your brokenness, Christina's brokenness, may look different than mine. River's brokenness looks way different than mine, all right? That kid's messed up. I'm just kidding, River. I'm just kidding. I would never say that publicly. I love you. But it's recorded forever. He's done some bad stuff. So all I'm saying is all of us, all of us are sinful are broken, And as soon as we start looking at certain people and saying, man, I'm better than you, you're instantly revealing that you're not. That all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Then Paul continues in chapter 6, verse 23. He says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. Big idea for this one is if you're filling in your notes, sin is the greatest enemy to God's kingdom. 
Sin is the greatest enemy to God's kingdom. Here's what Paul is saying. Sin equals death. Students, I've, I've said this so many times to you. Sin is not a bad decision from last weekend. It's not a regret. It's not something that you're so thankful nobody posted about, nobody found out about, and you get to move on from. Sin always equals death. And you know what I'm talking about because when you found out about that thing that that girl said about you, didn't it feel like a part of you died inside? Or or when that one guy was mistreating you, was bullying you, was hurting your feelings, didn't a part of you die inside? You see, sin always brings death. What I love about the Bible is it's just honest. It's not fluffy, it's just honest. That the cost, in other words, the wages, the cost of sin is death. But Jesus, Jesus was not satisfied with that being the end of the story. Because God is not a God of death. He's a God of life. You see, sin equals death for all of eternity. But Jesus and eternal life, that equals new life beginning today that lasts for all of eternity. In Romans chapter 5, 8, the next thing Paul says to us is, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that Paul used this word, demonstrated. Our big idea for this point is this. Love is not a promise made with words. Love is a reality demonstrated with actions. Ladies, I just want to talk to you for a second. If that boy, if that boy in your life says, girl, I love you. Girl, I'm really into you. Girl, I like you. Girl, I I really, really like you. But they are in no way demonstrating to you that they actually care about you, that they actually love you. They do not love you. They are just lusting after you. You see, love, love is not just theoretical. It's not just an idea. Love is always demonstrated. Don't you love that about Jesus? God didn't just say a bunch of words like, oh, I really love you. Lauren, I think you're so cool. You're so amazing. I made you so good. You're all those things. True. But God didn't just say that to you. God backed up everything he said by demonstrating his love for you on the cross. A few weeks ago, I told you guys in detail what Jesus went through on the cross on your behalf. You see, when God chooses to love you, it is always with actions. It is always demonstrated to you. It's something you can continually go back to and remember over and over and over again. Last two passages, Romans chapter 10, 9, Paul says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Big idea here is this. Salvation from sin is a gift received, not earned. Salvation from sin, like being rescued from sin controlling your whole life. It's a gift that you receive. It's not something that you earn. Isn't that so beautiful that Paul just says, hey, you don't have to have everything figured out. And maybe some of you are in this place. Maybe some of you want to begin following Jesus, but there's like this one Bible verse that you're like, I just don't fully understand that. That's okay. 
Maybe, they're, maybe they're, like, you, you really want to follow Jesus, but you're like, man, but I met this Christian once, and they did this really weird thing, and I just can't get over that. Okay, let's work with that. Paul says, if you just declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, this is not something you have to do on a Wednesday night or at a camp. This is something you can do at any point. You can just say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. That when you do that, you become saved. And some of you need to hear this because some of you are questioning your salvation. Some of you are asking the question, am I really saved? Paul says it's as simple as this. If you declare with your mouth, And if you believe, and that word believe means you trust with all your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. Sit in that. Enjoy that. Allow that to be the fuel that causes you to not be ashamed of the gospel anymore but to live boldly for him. And then our last verse, Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love that verse because I think some of you are going, what's God's will for my life? Like, what does God want to do with my life? What is God asking of me? And I think our last big idea answers that. The more you let God lead your life, the easier it will be for you to hear his voice. Paul says, if you've received this good news, if you've received Christ, then you know what your job is? Your job is to wake up every day and say, my life belongs to you, all of me for all of you. Maybe that's your prayer from here on out. Every single day of senior year for the last few months that you have, you say, all of me for all of you. All of me for all of you. And when you do that, thanks, Juan. That was tight, dude. All of me for all of you. When you do that, when you live in that way, when your life is about worshiping him, you will have a better sense of what his will is for you. Let me close with this. I want to challenge you to ask yourself this question with everything you're about to do this weekend. I don't know what plans you have for this weekend, but I want you to ask yourself this question. Does this worship Jesus? Does this worship Jesus? Sex in marriage, it worships Jesus. God created it for marriage, it worships Jesus. Sex before you're married, it doesn't worship Jesus. Drinking alcohol at a party as a high school student, it doesn't worship Jesus. Gossiping about your friend, posting something about him, it doesn't worship Jesus. Treating someone disrespectfully, calling someone names, bullying them, it doesn't worship Jesus. So don't do it. You see, you were created, you were created to have every part of your life worship Jesus. And when every part of your life worships Jesus, you know what happens? You experience this intimacy with him, and you will know his will for your life. So students, ask yourself, does this worship Jesus? If it does, do it. If it doesn't, stay away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these amazing students. I pray that in their life group time, they would begin to discuss this and the other passage in Second Peter that we have for them to discuss, that, God, they would see your amazing grace and love for them and that they would choose to live a life of worship for you. Thank you for changing a person like Paul. Thank you for changing me 
thank you for changing us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.